Welcome to Unbounded, talks on growth in financial services. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Parsons, and Unbounded is powered by Flowex.ai. Today, we are talking to a real insurance technology guru. He is the intersection between business and technology, if you can believe it. That's right. His name is Simon Clayton from the United Kingdom, and he's a rather special chap. He spent over 25 years in the insurance industry. He's done all sorts of varieties of insurance, general insurance, health insurance, life insurance, you name it. And he's done it in the UK and far beyond. That's right. And he's even worked for behemoths like the AXA Group. So get ready to dig in to the growth equation. Simon, welcome to the show. Mike, thank you. Awesome to be here. You know, described as a guru as well. That's rarefied air to be in. So thank you very much for that. Indeed. Welcome. And uh, you are sounding very energetic. It, it almost sounds like you have been hiking in uh, the, the mountainous regions of the United Kingdom. You are bringing some of that fresh air to the show, Simon. Awesome. Yeah. The last few days in the Lake District with my son. So we uh, we got lots of walking in, rowing. We were in caves and managed to climb the England's highest mountain as well, Scarfield Pike. So feeling the burn, but really energized. Well, those mountains, uh, those rivers sound quite challenging. It sounds quite similar to trying to deploy technology in large insurance <laughs> businesses, doesn't it? Um, tell us a little bit about this, this epic journey that you had for over 25 years, getting that job done, building bridges between tech and business. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, it's been, it's been quite a journey. So I can't believe it's been 25 years. I, I started in customer service, customer operations. So I came from a background of dealing with customers every day and trying to help them and work out what they need. Um, and that taught me a lot. That gave me a great foundation into understanding kind of customer journeys before I realized what customer journeys were and customer experience, but you're, you're living and breathing it day, day to day. Um, from that, I, I started to drift into, and it was drift, drift into project management and program management, just because I, I liked taking small problems and trying to fix, fix them, certainly mm. from the customer's point of view. Um, and someone somewhere saw some talent in me um, on the IT side <laughs> because I was able to kind of bring this, this, this view of being able to understand what's happening in operations, what's happening from the customer's yeah. point of view and talk to the, the IT guys, the tech guys in, in a language that they could understand. It's like, well, th this is, this is what we need over here. So how can we find a way to deliver that outcome and, and help both sides build that, that big picture. I mean, mm. one, one of the, the first things that I did, it was back in around 2009. It was, it was not long after the iPhone had launched. Mm. Um, I designed the UK's first insurance iOS app. There was a race. I didn't know it. There was a race between us and one other organization. Mm. Um, but we, we managed to, to cross that line first, um, which was great. But you know, the, the biggest thing I learned from that, and I, I talk about this often to when, when we're looking at, you know, what, what's driving a project is we didn't understand the why at that point. Mm. I was, I was driven by let's be first to, to launch an iOS app. 
Um, and the the first person that used that app was my wife. <laughs> she <laughs> she crashed she crashed our car, <laughs> and uh, we got a notification. the the uh, the The engineering team thought I was still testing the app. They didn't think it was a real claim. So you know, they, I, I often think of it. And, and you're from Australia. You probably uh, can get this more than more than me. It's it's like riding a surfboard. I think when you when you're dealing with mm-hmm. understanding IT change, if you right. go too soon, you miss the wave. If you go too late, you you get crash and burn. You've got to find that that point of understanding. What's the right point to set off? Um, so that's what I try and do with with a business architecture view often is, is help both sides understand right. when are we going to surf that wave uh-huh. and uh-huh. where are we trying to get to? I, I love this surfing analogy. I think, I think we've got something to run with for this show. <laughs> um, could there be a more difficult or challenging position in the last decade in fintech insurance tech than that of, business architecture, building the bridge between business and technology, it sounds like you're in the hot seat, Simon. Certainly with, with large organizations um, that you know, have hundreds of millions of customers that they're dealing with, but also it seems like just as many products yeah. and systems to deal with. Um, you need, there, there's, a, there's definitely a fine balance between getting too far into the detail and having that big picture view. Hmm. And certainly, you know, I was surrounded by people that have that detailed knowledge of how systems work, process experts. Hmm. What I brought to it, I think, and hope was that ability to stand back and help others understand, you know, what's going on around us. What's the, not just Hmm. the inside the organization context, but what's happening outside of the organization, Hmm. what trends are emerging in technology, what social change is driving customer behavior. Hmm. And there's no shortage of that over the last, last few years. (laughs) It doesn't stop, does it? So here's a, here's an interesting question I'd love to follow up with. How does someone listening to our show develop this capacity to, you know, bridge technology and business. And it sounds to me like the hint that you're giving us is it's the capacity to be close to customers, the capacity to have step back and have a little bit more contents context, you know, ask the why question, how do we develop these sort of skills? Like what advice would you give to somebody starting their career in, uh, in FinTech? Sure. Well, certainly, you know, kind of coming from the, the sort of role that, that I've been describing where you're, you're that bridge, then when I was bringing in people, I was, I was after that a lot by kind of recruiters. What, what sort of person are you looking for? What sort of skill set? It was more important to me that they had that ability, you just said it, to ask the why question a lot and you can start to annoy people a lot by continuing asking why. But the more you do that, the more you dig in and, and help that other person understand or ho- hopefully take them on that path that they understand what's driving the change, what destination are they trying to get to. A lot of times I was, I was surrounded by execs that were fascinated and focused on the, the delivery, kind of the, the box being unwrapped as mm. the outcome, you know, get, get that in yeah. and we've succeeded. 
Yeah. How do you know what the value is? You've, you've yes. got to you've got to know why you're on the journey as much as what the journey is. Yes. So for me, it was more about the the people having the right stuff about them, rather than you know have they got a certificate that proved that they were a business architect or an enterprise architect. I could teach them that. Mm. We we could we could give them the kind of the technical knowledge, but there was that almost just that it sounds really basic, but that ability just to be able to ask why mm. and and dig into those conversations with people was really mm. critical to the role. You know, there's this uh, great practice that originated um, in Toyota in Japan, which was to ask why five times, and they believed you would get to the source of any problem. Have you have you are you familiar with this this model? Yeah, the, yeah, and the whole Shingu yes. kind of institute approach to that, and and, and Kaizen, um, yeah, also with GA with you know um, Six Sigma. Certainly, yes. you're looking at, and that's more kind of then the measurement of it. But certainly, that was a lot of the the approach and the skills that I had and the, the teams that I've worked with were, they were people that were coming from that background mm. that then had enough knowledge of technology to, to get by. You yes. Know, you're surrounded by excellent people that, that know the engineering side of it, but you've got to help them as much as the business go on that journey. So they definitely needed that skill set. but you're right. Just keep asking why yeah. until, until you get clarity. <laughs> Or, or you get kicked out of the room either way, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what an interesting way to frame our conversation today. Uh, it's it, it's almost like, yeah, bring the skills and the expertise, but m- it's almost like you're challenging us. Bring the mindset, be customer first, ask why, be relentless in thinking through what you're doing. That That's like a great way to frame our conversation, isn't it? Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the, the things that um, I, I created in, in, in one of the organizations that worked at to help this was I referred to it as a business design authority. It, it mm. wasn't a committee that decided whether we were going to do something or not. It was a forum made up of business people and technology people that kicked the tires on mm. change requests, on new project requests, on investment requests, and made sure that whatever was being considered went all the way back to a strategic objective. So did it tick the box around where the organization was trying to head? Yeah. Then where did it fit in the existing architecture? You know, did it, did it complement the existing architecture? Did it change it for good? Did we need to consider how it might impact other things? And this authority would give guidance and direction to these change teams mm. and help people make informed decisions. And there's another thing that with my role, you know, I, I stressed all the time, that, that for me is where I added value, that I could help people make informed decisions. I'm not going to make the decision. It's not, it's not up to me to say yes or no that we're going to do this, but I'm going to help you understand what the implications are, what the value is if we say yes or no. But that business design authority ended up being a really valuable group in helping to drive change in the right direction. 
Well, that's fascinating. That, that uh, you know, we've talked about building bridges, uh, Simon, and that kind of sets us up to talk about some of the complexity challenges that you faced in getting this this job done, which is not to be underestimated. Before we jump into that, I just want to remind all of our listeners that Unbounded Talks is powered by Flowx.ai. So if you want to know more about Flowx.ai, head over to Flowx.ai. Check it out. This is all about you having the platform to solve your complexity, to move faster, and to unlock more growth in your business. So, Simon, let's get into some of the nasty, dirty aspects of big technology. And where better than for us to to think about the complexity that you must have faced? I mean, for for the benefit of our listeners, you have been in the role you were just discussing, overseeing that architecture on systems that have had over a hundred million customers. I just shudder at the thought of how complex that must have been. And in particular, how did you bring technology together? How did you do your integrations at such a scale? How, how, you know, walk us through the way to think about this, share with us how we can tackle that because at that level of scale, just one like tip, you know, turning of one degree of the big ship can have really significant consequential effects. So tell us how, how was the complexity? How'd you think about it? And importantly, how did you beat it? Yeah, well, um, not not successfully all the time. It was it was <laughs> certainly more complex than it I think it needed to be. Yeah, and why I say that is so I was a member of the the Global Architecture Review Board, and so like I was describing with the Design Authority, this was this is on a global level, this, operating in the same sort of way, considering you know what what the roadmap is. And they they would they would ultimately give green lights or red lights mm. to things. Mm. What what I found there were again that I was really I was seeing people come in with requests that that just said we want to implement technology X technology Y. Right. There wasn't a clear vision. There wasn't that reason why. There wasn't the outcome. There wasn't a description of the value. You know, they would come with a big list of benefits on a page and it was like, okay, but you, you're never, one, you're never going to deliver all 12 of those benefits. <laughs> no, no one ever does. So focus on three or four that are true. Um, and how are you going to measure them at the end of it? So, yeah. um, you know, the lack of a single big picture, but that big picture needed to consider the, the experience so what's happening at a process level? Mm. What's happening across your organization? So how are these people going to use the technology? Um, is it going to work for them? In the that's way interesting. That yeah, yeah. Right. That, that's interesting, isn't it, that we have this dream of this big, shiny savior of technology, and then you're like, well, hang on, how are people actually going to use this? Would it be fair to say, do you think it's just human nature often when we're trying to just keep sprinting, keep running along, that we just want to throw in another thing. And people just neglect that thought of like, how's this going to live and operate in our business? Is it fair to say that most people don't address that by nature? Yeah, we, we got into, there was an example, we got into a, a system 
uh, replacement. It was looking at claims operations and it was, you know, it was replacing system X with system Y. Mm-hmm. We got into about 18 months of that transformation project and it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't delivering the features and functionalities that the business needed. So we paused and it's rare that you pause yeah. on a program. Certainly yeah. when you're spending millions of pounds or dollars or, or whatever. And we then took the time and, and this is a big learning. We should have done this at the start. Yeah. Understand what's happening at a process level first, because right. you're right. People using the technology, um, I often, um, describe it as, um, ant trails. You you see ants, mm. they kind of weave their way on a path that works for them, avoiding obstacles and barriers in the way. And that's what people do with, with systems. When you're using it every day, you know, the shortcuts mm. and you know, well, I've, I've got to find this piece of information, but it's not actually in the core system. I've got to go over here. So I need this <laughs> open on my screen at the same time. Yes. And if you don't sit with people who are using the technology to see them using it, you're never going to understand that. So we did that. We paused for a few months, looked at that process level, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't locked away in a room with, with whiteboards trying to work out the process, it was time spent back on the floor mm. with the, with the end users. And that we learned a lot from, from that. Isn't that, that is, that is really, isn't that like a home truth uh, right there? So <laughs> yeah. it's like pause, whatever your dreams and ambitions are in PowerPoint or your, your, you know, architectural map software, right. With all your lines and bubbles, just pause and start with the process. And I think what you're encouraging us to do is get out of your seat, go onto the floor, get in the field, go into the branch and see the reality of a workflow. See it in real life for all its ugliness and clunkiness and have to go from this system to that system. Hang on. I'll go and get the manual thing over here. I'll put that in the mix. I'm the wizard because I can like juggle these three things to get the job done. That's the reality if we go process level first, right? Exactly. And you will you will reap the benefits in terms of time saved, you know, on, on the program project ultimately. Ah, if you yes. invest just a small amount of time at the start to do that properly. Don't think of this as, you know, creating epic stories if you're an agile world or yes. you know, requirements documents if you're if you're kind of more the the dinosaur like me. But you know, it's, it's not just about creating that document that has a list of requirements in there. That time spent in the real world is going to reap rewards if you do it. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because um, there is sort of an aversion to that work. It, do, you, do you think that the work of, hey, let's spend some time with those on the, on the front line of customer support and look at the workflows, the ticketing system. Do you think, well, well let me ask you, why do you think it is, in general, if you look at large enterprises, not enough time is spent understanding the basic process. Why is, is it just seen as inconsequential? Is it, why is it that that, that doesn't happen more? It's hard. It's hard work. <clears throat> and it's, I think because it's, it's difficult to take a process 
and map it out clearly. And there will be so many left and right turns that can happen on that process hmm. that I think it, it gets too big for people if you don't have the the right knowledge, background, experience to do that work. Right. And certainly yes. if you kind of come with that, that, that black belt, Six Sigma, those guys eat that yeah. up all the time. Simon, so, Simon do, you, do you think it's also part of, let's say we, you and I went on the floor and collected data from 10 customer support people. Then we've got to write up 10 transcripts and we've got like volumes of data. Then we have to interpret like, well, what did it mean? There's just a lot of heavy lifting there that's underestimated. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was a lot of, you know, my time and my team's time was spent doing that heavy lifting, doing that, that dirty work, holding the pen, going along with, with, with people and capturing all of that and building that knowledge base. Mm. And, you know, again, my experience, we, we often rely too much on, well, I, I would, I would ask this question a lot. Where, where is the process map? Oh, we haven't got, we haven't got a map. It's not written down. What you need to do is you need to go and ask Mike. Mike's got that. It's in his head. So (laughs) whatever, whatever you do, like don't harm Mike. Don't get in a a small airplane or anything like that. He's the only one. (laughs) What happens when Mike leaves? Let's wrap Mike in bubble wrap because once he goes, then we're going to lose all of that knowledge. So the, but again, it's, it's almost, you only get that with hindsight. You only get that when something goes wrong, like that claims transformation example that we had to press pause. And it's like, okay, but if, if we just did this and maintained those sorts of views of what's happening at a process level, what's happening with your customer journey, making sure that's all understood, then it, it becomes less effort over time because you're just, you've got it and you're just maintaining updating as you go yeah do do you think simon this was your key weapon process level first do you believe this was your antidote to complexity in the the world of technology and finance it it helped on so many of our large-scale transformations you know i've 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 overseen and worked on digital transformation and that that took time to, to get going because the strategy wasn't clear at the start. Kind of the why are right. we doing this wasn't clear. I've worked on data transformations. And again, it wasn't clear on what, what we mean by data, first of all, mm-hmm. and, and what we then want to do with that. What insight are we looking to do? Where, where are we going to create value? I've worked on automation and AI projects. And you, I, you were then struggling with the immaturity of the technology and the immaturity of the skills in the organization yes. to, to use the technology. So bringing just that that ability not to, I don't need to be an expert in any of those. I'm not, but I can, I can bring my expertise in helping visualize what's going on across Mm. that entire operating model. That I think is, is, is where organizations need to invest more effort and time to, to get it right. Would it be fair for me to try and to try and sell you on your own Kool Aid here for a second, Simon? <laughs> um, I'm I'm going to say that that your idea is that the this process level first thinking 
this workflow first thinking, this user journey first thinking is the antidote to complexity because it becomes, if you will, the single source of truth. It becomes, you can build everything from those flows and processes. They can guide you through all of those complexities, uh, those, you know, conflicting interests and so forth, because you can always go back to the process. What's the process we need to enable? Would that be fair? Yeah. You know, what, however you want to describe it, whether you, you, you describe things as having value streams, process maps, customer journey maps, have, have something that you can refer back to as a blueprint. I, I love the customer journey mapping approach. Mm. You know, and the flip side is, and just as important is employee journey, but they're the same thing. From that, you can visualize what is happening across your business, why it's happening, but also who's doing it, when they're doing it, what systems and technology they're using. But you also, if you're then maintaining it, if it's a living document, you are also capturing the hurdles that users or customers are facing throughout that. And you then can go, right, okay, well, let's focus on, well, why is that a blocker? How can we fix that? How can we make that more simple? Um, and, And work your way through just gradually, incrementally improving the customer journey. Um, can I can, can I can I just grab you there? I think you just said one thing that is super un, uh, super important. I think you undersold it a little, Simon. So I feel like I'm your agent here now. But, <laughs> but let me say this: you referenced the fact that you don't just create your process level flow or your customer user journey once, but you touched on something that I think is critical for us to to call out, which is it becomes a living document because customers and employees are not static entities. They don't only exist one time. They're in continuous forms of change. If if we need any evidence of that, just look at how wildly um, customer world has changed, can't go to branches, et cetera, et cetera. Look at employees of the same institution. They're all working from home or in hybrid setups. So as a proxy for your success in dealing with complexity, how often are you updating your user journeys, be it for employees or customers, over the last two years? I mean, that's almost like a health check, isn't it? It's, it really is, Mike. You, you've, got to, you've got to update as much as you can. And I, I would say you know, there, there isn't too much that you can do to, to, to ensure that. I, I, I remember... Um, one of one of the businesses they they invested with an outside agency specialists in creating customer journey maps. They did an awesome job. An entire wall was dedicated mm. to a customer journey map. I went back to that office over the course of three or four years. The map was in the same place, untouched. It was exactly the same for about four years. There is no way that the products were the same. The, the way that the systems were working, the systems changed, yet the map was the same. So it was, you know, that again, the output is not the outcome. You've got to keep that document alive um, and, that, and use that to inform and drive where mm. you're heading in terms of the transformation. Boy, 
you've really you've really set us up now to put our minds towards now that we've kind of got this baseline of complexity, we can start to rethink around some strategies around the core, uh, strategies around, you know, tech debt, you know, core technologies and that sort of thing. But before we go there, I want to remind all of our listeners that Unbounded Talks is powered by Flowex.ai. All right, Simon. So I think we've done well. We've we've laid our foundation, the concrete the supporting balustrades, they're all in there and they're ready to go. It now gives us a chance to say, well, we've got the complexity under control. We have our process level, uh, diagrams, flows, journeys, they're mapped, they're continuous living things. I want to bring your bridge building between the business and technology and the customer. I want you to tackle this idea of what we often talk about is that the system, the legacy technologies. Uh, you often hear folks in the world of financial services talking about the constraints, talking about the blockers. Um, how many times, Simon, have you been in meetings where people are saying, we can't do that, we don't have that? It does, <laughs> that must have happened so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there are both sides of that, Mike. There's the we we can't do, and I think equally as frustrating for me is people that asking me what's the easiest way we can make this happen. As I like, well, are you really invested in what you're talking about? If if you're looking for the easiest rather than describing it as the best way, or how can we make something better? Um, so again, you know, it, it sounds like common sense, but a lot of you know the conversation I have is just digging into. Okay, you say easy. Do you mean better? Yes, I do. All right, okay, that's good. Let's 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 jump off from, from that point. What, but, why, why is it? Because what you're really saying with easy is they're they're actually coming to you and say, "Can I have another band aid, please?" Right? Yeah, yeah. Often. So yeah, I had um, when we about 2018, um, people started to get very excited about automation. For, for the first time, that's, that's when I kind of recognize it as a, as a trend. Um, and I had people coming to me at that point saying, uh, we want an automation program. We want, okay. we want to pilot this. And there, was, um, there were people on the business side that were describing it as a way to drive down cost. What they were really talking about was headcount reduction. That was the only way in their mind they were going to drive down that cost. We hmm. can replace people through automation. Um, so there was, I had to spend a lot of time just exploring and helping with back to the floor exercise, but exploring what was going on and where the real value on automation programs were. And it it's not automation software, robots, whatever you want to call them. They don't replace people. They, they give time back they give productivity back that's, mm. that's what we learned it's not that we don't need simon anymore we're actually freeing up more of simon's valuable time taking away those tasks that he doesn't need to do right you can focus on the value add stuff with the customers and that's where we then went with particularly the automation program but, but 
likewise on that, I had so many of my IT colleagues, you, you, you said it, they described automation as a sticking plaster. <laughs> we, we, we don't, we don't want to be investing our time and worrying about, you know, creating that, that capability. We want to be fixing core. Yes. Like, well, you, you do realize that there is value in being able to automate a lot of the IT operations. Hmm. And in the same way, giving our engineers, giving our service uh, technicians that time back and that productivity back, and then they can focus on yes. thinking about how we can transform, how we can get better. But you're not going to do that unless you you do apply a sticking plaster of some sort. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So let let me let me try to decode this a little bit. I think where you're challenging us is. No more Band-Aid approaches. No more quick fixes. Stop asking for easy. Start asking for better. And, you know, to your earlier analogy, better was don't have to replace the core. You can use automation, new layers to make it perform better uh, in order to free up and to your, your staff, your, your mind, your resources to do many other things. Would that be a fair summation, do you think? I would agree, Mike. As long as those those additional layers are not increasing complexity, right. I think you you've got to be you've got to be careful about what you're introducing and 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 why and and is the value there. Um, but certainly considering how people, processes, and technology combine and work together, you know, and understanding the outcome that you're looking for. Be really clear on just the, again, when I say it, it sounds really basic, but where do, where do customers want to interact with your organization online? Mm-hmm. Where do they still need to talk to, to a real person? Oh. Um, being clear on those sorts of just basic choices, mm. but you, you then understand that and create something that, that works truly end to end. So, Simon, give me uh, give me an example of where you've rethought the core, where you've gained those sorts of efficiencies. You mentioned automation. I'd love to hear about a time where you've taken the existing uh, engine um, and got more out of it just by taking a different mindset, asking different questions. Sure. So I think with with a data program, data transformation that I worked on, there was um, quite a considerable investment. We were we were looking at building um, master data management (MDM). Mm-hmm. Um, we had customer data stores already, but you know, we we didn't know what was in them. They again, they weren't maintained. So were they accurate views of what's going on at a customer level? Um, People were fixated at the time on cross-sell and upsell being the the value that we were going to get from the investment in these data technologies. Um, and they spent huge amount of times looking at the potential of Mike having home insurance over here and can we sell him health insurance over there? And what's the <laughs> likelihood of that that happening? Right. Where really the the value came from understanding more about Mike as a person, first of all, mm. and how can we make the products that Mike has already got even better without worrying about can we sell additional products? Oh, 
can we retain Mike? And and that then suddenly unlocked huge potential and huge mm. discussions in there, making the most of the data that we had about customers, not to try and grow in terms of new products, but retain. And there were light bulb moments there, certainly within within the business when we were describing it that way. Um, and also the potential for you know, understanding Mike, Simon, and using that to help with the regulation that was coming along because we, we were talking about a time when GDPR oh, was, gosh. was front and center. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. Well, how, how are we going to manage, manage that? How do we manage consent? Well, you can do that in this, this MDM technology that we've just introduced because you can capture as much as you want about Mike in there um, and record consent at a customer level as well. So mm. there was unexpected value in there and kind of we went off on a, on a bit of a tangent, but there was a lot of challenge that we had to do with the execs because they, they thought the value was, it was growth as in, you know, cross sell, upsell. Yeah. Top line, yeah. right? Yeah. Like just add yeah. more in the top of the funnel uh, or some might say the leaky bucket, but you kind yeah. of turned it around and said, whoa, 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 let's plug the bucket for a second here, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think there's, when I think about um, startups and, and yeah, there are great companies there in InsureTech. Um, I've had conversations where, you know, are the, are the traditional, are the incumbents at risk from startups? Are they going to come and eat, eat our dinner? And I don't think the future is there. You know, it's not about, um, is it us or them? Is it the, David or Goliath, I think the future is going to be where they're working together. I think it's going to be partnerships and it's understanding where those potentials are for, for those partnerships. How can we take the startup mindset, those guys that are there, they can, they can turn out something really quickly. They're great at the prototyping, but they specialize in something that's niche, but then they work with the traditional guys that have got scale they understand regulation. Mm. They've got a huge customer base. Let's bring the two together to then offer something new and unique in terms of features. Isn't, isn't that surely what happens when those that have thought about their core technologies and their integrations better than others will be free to connect, interconnect, collaborate with vendors and partners all around the world because their systems are capable of keeping up with that sort of strategy. Isn't that really what we're talking about? I mean, this is a beautiful build into like what happens when you think about the core right. What I would propose from what you've just said, Simon, is that if you get your core right, rather than being, rather than looking backwards and looking inside and dealing with, you know, deploying 80% of your time, money, and resources to managing the existing core, you can start a shift where you're like, well, let's go partner with these guys. Let's add that to our sector. Let's do an API integration with them. Let's connect with these guys. Let's do a web services partnership with these guys. Let's use any of these open systems to interconnect and to ask ourselves the fundamental question, how can we add more value to our customers? 
surely this is the north, uh, kind of the like the North Pole. The this is the thing calling us. This is why we should address our core uh, systems and ask, I think, harder questions, tougher questions. A- am I Absolutely. am I am I selling yeah, you back yeah. your own Kool Aid now? Yeah, yeah, you're preaching. You know, you're singing to the choir here. There you go. It's, it's legacy is you know it's, it's costly to maintain. You you just mentioned it. I agree. About two thirds of IT budget is is usually just running existing operations, and then well, okay, we've got one third left to try and do something new to to transform. And there's this view that well, there's not enough there's not enough money there. But I think it's 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 that traditional mindset of thinking where well, we're going to build in house. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this ourselves. I, I think the the future is partnership work with these these great new companies that have mm. expertise they've got a great product in that niche area that that can add that value to right. what you've already got but what they lack is scale you've got it you've got the customer base bring the two together find that mutual value but mm. i've i've had those conversations with you know lots of companies in the insured tech space and they want to their first bit is understanding how their product can add value. If if it goes back, if if you don't have that big picture view of how your organization works, the systems, how they work, how they interact with the processes, you can't have that really basic conversation with any third-party company about where the value is in a, in a potential partnership. Mm. You've got to have that knowledge at the start. We've spoken a lot about sort of this better thinking uh, don't go, just go for easy, go for better. We've talked about rethinking the core and how we can open up business with integrations, how we can seize new opportunities. And you're painting a future for us, which is built around partnerships, uh, integrating stacks together. A lot of that tells us about what's going to happen outside of financial service companies, be it banks or insurance companies. But I would love to get your thoughts on how, if we have done this better thinking about technology, be it the core, be it the legacy, be it the integrations, if we have done that, how do things change inside the organization? Like what are the stakes we're fighting for inside of the team, the organization, the IT department and beyond? What what do you think the possibilities in the future are for them if they approach tech right? So I touched on it earlier. I think you, you, we're we're in a different world now after after COVID. You know, everyone is looking for flexible working. <clears throat> Companies are, are in an increasingly kind of shallow pool of good skilled people. If we can use technology to augment people's skills and knowledge, and it's almost you're you're giving them like an exoskeleton suit to to make them better better people that that is what i think that's how we can change internally it's not that we've we're all competing against each other for you know the best people it's it's level the playing field right. through through the smart use of technology upskill people you know that you don't need to be you know, the the best engineer ever 
within the within an IT department. Use the technology to give you that boost. That's where I think the future is. That sounds like a pretty rosy uh, future, but I think we we both need to remind ourselves of the hard work of asking why, focusing on customers, employees, process level, user journey level, right? That That's the hard work. Like any training program at the gym or, or if you want to run a marathon, you got to put in the training if you want to perform on the day, right? Completely agree. That, that's where that's where the, the hard work really is. That time spent, as you say, in the gym, out on the road. But if you do that, then you'll you'll get your personal best. <laughs> you you definitely will. Right, right. Well, listen, we have covered a lot of ground uh, together today, Simon. I mean, it started with opening us. You challenged us to bring the right mindset, to to focus on customers, to ask why, and that the ultimate source of truth is that at a process level, at a, at a journey level, at each and every stakeholder's user experience. And we're in the battle for better, not necessarily easier. And if we do so, there's a future of interconnected services that create more value for customers and employees too. That is a very tasty conversation. Um, Simon, I know our listeners will be thinking to themselves, how do they find you on that famous thing, the worldwide internet? Uh, are you a Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn kind of a guy? If people are typing in Simon Clayton from the United Kingdom, where shall they find you to connect and ask you more questions? Definitely on LinkedIn, Mike. That's the, uh, that's the best way to get me. Um, so search for Simon Clayton. There aren't many of us out there. Certainly not many of us described as InsureTech gurus. So, <laughs> Well, Simon, don't worry about that because I think we'll be including a link uh, to you and all of the topics that we have discussed in our show notes. You can get our show notes over at unbounded.flowex.ai and you can get all the links, the transcript, everything you will find there. Simon, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like you gave me some homework assignments, ask better questions, go down process level. Have you enjoyed the conversation? It's been great, Mike. Yeah. And again, it just makes me, you know, it's good to reflect and makes me think about, you know, what I've learned and what, you know, what I can always do differently. So thanks for that. It's been, it's been really enjoyable. Thank you ever so much. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Unbounded Talks. And we hope that you have got that energy kick. We hope that you are ready to ask better questions and go right down to a customer, to employee level, to a process level, and we'll keep Simon Clayton happy. All right, that's it for Unbounded Talks. We're powered by Flowex.ai. If you want to know more about us, head over to unbounded.flowex.ai. All right, guys, that's a wrap.